Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us for worship today at the Vista. As you can see, we are starting a new series. Over the course of the next month, we get to talk about sex and sexuality. You excited? Some of you are, I guess. I don't know. Um, I want to mention a couple things as we get started into the series. Um, I want to talk about why we're doing a series like this to begin with, and then just uh, a couple things that I want you to be aware of and know about. Austin and I are going to tag team the series. Um, I'm uh, starting it out this morning, um, and then Austin's going to preach the next two, and then I'll do the last one uh, in, the, in the series. And then on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, we're going to cap it off with a Q&A. Um, we realize that this is such an important topic and a really big topic, and there's a lot of different uh, topics to be discussed within it. And so we, wanna, we wanted to end it with a Q&A uh, time on, on that Sunday. Austin and I will be up here, and we're going to let you submit questions through the, throughout the series. You can go to our website and see the link where you can do that. Um, and then we're going to take those that are um, most broadly a course for everyone and try to, try to answer those questions at the end of the series. Also, uh, I wanted to let you know we're going to provide a resource page for you. Uh, again, on our website, there'll be a link to that. Um, what we don't want to do is simply say, okay, here's what the Bible says. Now, good luck with that, right? Like, we want to give you some tangible stuff. We want to give you some resources, some books, some websites, some things that you can go to um, to help you in that journey um, in regards to sexual sin, sexual temptation, and some of that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, wanted to make sure you were aware of that um, and then why we're doing the series, you know, some people might say, why are we bothering to talk about this from the stage on a Sunday? Um, I mean, sure, it's important, but isn't this something you can talk to people in their private lives about? I mean, isn't this something you can, you know, put out as a resource for those that want it? Do we really need to take Sundays um, and talk about something that's so private like sex? And the answer is yes, we absolutely do. Um, you don't have to look far in our culture to see that we are a culture that is consumed with sex and with sexuality. Um, it is a really, really big deal. We are a church, have always been a church that ministers primarily to a lot of young people, uh, a lot of millennials, a lot of that Gen Z, um, and we love that. We love to have young people, but what you'll notice uh, across our nation, statistics tell us that those are the fastest generations that are walking away from the church. They're literally leaving the church in droves, and when they do the research and ask why are so many young people leaving the church, the number one thing they say is they don't feel like the church is relevant to them. They look at the church and think the church is this institution from a bygone era with a bunch of rules and laws, but they're not really, uh, they don't really address what I'm dealing with in my life. And so as a result of that, lots of young people are leaving the church. And so we as a church have said, no, we love young people. We want to be a church that ministers to young people. And if we're going to be a church that ministers to young people, we need to address the subjects and the things that young people are dealing with. And so in our culture, that is sex and sexuality. It's a huge, huge deal. And if the church isn't going to talk about it, then everything we're going to learn about it is going to come from culture, which of course is not always the right message. It's not the right message. And so some people have this idea, again, our culture sort of screams, sex is this physical thing, it, it's not that meaningful, you can have sex with whoever, whenever you want, as long as it's two consent, consenting adults, do what feels good, it's really not a problem. That's kind of the pervasive message from culture. Then we have some in the church that maybe grew up like I did. I grew up in a very conservative, I would say traditional, maybe even, you might even use the word fundamentalist Christian background, and the message I always heard about sex was, 
Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Don't do it. Stay away from it. It's awful. It's bad. So save it for marriage, right? Which just seemed to be a really confusing message, right? (laughs) Sex is terrible. Sex is awful. So save it for the one you love. It's like, what? That doesn't seem right either. So what we want to be concerned with is not what culture says and not even what your parents and grandparents had to say about it, but what does the Bible tell us about it? Specifically, what does God say about sex? What does God say about sex? So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to jump in. We've got a lot to cover this morning in a very brief time. I'm going to start out in Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings. And so Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Um, I would also tell you um, not to too quickly sort of tune everything out. Uh, I know sometimes we come and you hear the subject of the sermon, and sometimes we lean in a little bit, and then sometimes we go, not for me, and we check out a little bit, right? I'm going to encourage you not to just check out. I don't care how old you are, whether you're married, single, whatever, don't just kind of go, okay, this one's not for me. Um, I think we can all learn a great deal. I remember when my wife and I first got married, it wasn't long after we had been married, my wife brings home a book, and the title of the book was Sex Begins in the Kitchen. And as a young married guy, I was like, sweet, sex <laughs> in the kitchen. Sounds good, right? Like, let's, like that's, that's great. Um, if you've ever read the book, that's not what the book is about, right? That's not what the book is about. It's actually a really good book. You can read it yourself. I had a lot to learn. We'll just say that. I had a lot to learn. If we're honest, I think we all have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. And so lean in this morning. Lean in this series to what God might want to say to you. I think God gets sort of a bad rap sometimes, especially among the conservative kind of Christian movement. Um, Again, the idea that that, that sex is not like God's plan or God's design, that it may be something Satan sort of threw in there when God wasn't looking, right? Like God creates Adam and Eve, and he's like, you're both very good, you're naked in a garden. Then God like turns around for a second and looks back, and he's like, what are you doing? Like I had no idea you were going to do that. And so, no, sex is a good and beautiful gift from God, and we see that from the very beginning of the Bible, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Next week, Austin's going to talk about gender roles, gender identity, and he'll come back to this verse. Um, But we see God is the creator of everything, and mankind, male and female, are like the crown jewel of his creation. And then the very first thing he says in verse 28, and God blessed them, and then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So I want you to understand this. This is our sacred literature. It explains for us God's plan and God's design. And the very first pages, the very first chapter of Scripture says God creates man and woman. He wires them a certain way. He puts them in the garden naked and unashamed. And essentially his first command to them is have sex and have children. That's the first thing God tells mankind to do. Sex is not this horrible, evil, wicked, very bad thing that you should just stay away from. It is a good and beautiful gift from God. It's a good and beautiful gift from God. And we see right there in the pages, one of the purposes of sex, of course, is procreation. It is to have children. Think about how good and amazing and wonderful and beautiful our God is that he puts us on this earth and he wires us a certain way so that we can experience pleasure. And in that pleasure between a man and a woman in a covenantal marriage, life can come from that. Like how amazing is God? How beautiful is God? that he would do that for us, right? It's a great gift. It's a wonderful, beautiful gift from God. Now, what some have done historically is then they'll take this verse 
sort of in isolation apart from other texts of the Bible, and they'll say, see, sex is only for procreation. I guess if you have to have sex to have kids, you can or you should, but outside of that, it's a big no-no. And the problem is, when you look at it in light of other verses in Scripture, that's not what other places in the Bible tell us about sex. Um, We'll look at a couple passages this morning and make some of you blush. It'll be fun. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Song of Solomon is a book of great love poetry. It's really a series of love songs between a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom. It, 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 it expresses sexuality uh, in, in joyful context, uh, physical attraction. I mean, it is, uh, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable book for the prudish, we'll say. Um, but it is our sacred literature. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Amen? All right, let's move on. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Here's what's interesting. Some of you might go, okay, here we go. Another book of the Bible written by a man talking about sex. I would remind you that in Song of Solomon, it is the woman who speaks first, and it is the woman who speaks more often than the man. So in Song of Solomon, this is a bride and a groom right after their wedding, and they are uh, longing passionately for one another. They're describing one another. And in chapter 5 of Song of Solomon, here is what the, the woman says, beginning in verse 10, about her, about her groom, about her man. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, it's distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. A lot of imagery going on here. I don't have time to unpack everything, but... His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem." This is a woman looking at her man right before they have sex, right after the wedding, and she likes what she sees. And and honestly, if I'm completely honest, our English translations don't really even do justice to the erotic nature of the Hebrew text. I mean, it softens it a lot in our English translations. So that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the, the woman looking at her man. Now let's look in chapter 7. This is the man describing, looking longingly at his bride. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. I feel like I need to stop right here and remind everybody... <laughs> that the context and the culture back then are very different than our context and culture today. And so guys, do not use some of these lines on your girl. <laughs> that will go very badly for you if you, use, if you, sell, if you tell your, your woman that her belly's like a bowl of wheat. You are not going to be having sex. That's not a good idea. Moving on. Verse 3, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. Another one I would stay away from if I were you. (laughs) Which looks toward Damascus. 
Your head crowns you like caramel. Your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one. With all of your delights, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breast be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. All right, everyone's blushing enough now, right? That is our sacred text. That is our sacred literature. And again, in, in ancient Jewish culture, you weren't even allowed to read a Song of Songs till you were 30 years old or married. I mean, it was, um, it was one of those things that was very like, hey, this is not for all ages. As Tim Keller says, the Bible is a very uh, uncomfortable book for prudish people because the Bible celebrates sexuality. The Bible celebrates sex as a gift from God. And I would remind you that in Song of Solomon, kids are never mentioned in Song of Solomon. Kids are great. Kids are wonderful. I have three of my own. We love kids, but in Song of Solomon, it is, um, it is essentially sex expressed as joy, as, as life-giving, fun in marriage. So the idea that sex is only for procreation is not a biblical idea. It's not a biblical idea. Throughout Scripture, the Bible, in various places, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, of course, Song of Solomon, in the New Testament and 1 Corinthians, the Bible's not only going to tell couples uh, that it allows sex in marriage, it's going to command it, essentially. And so God gives us sex as this wonderful, beautiful gift. It's an amazing gift from an amazing God to us. But here's the thing. It is designed as a gift to be used in a particular context, specifically in a covenantal marriage bond, a relationship between a man and a woman. That is the way it is always talked about in Scripture. In fact, back over to Genesis in Genesis chapter 2, we have a very popular verse that is often read at weddings. Genesis 2 verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God gives this wonderful, beautiful gift, and sin had not yet entered the equation and it's just seen as this, it's not shameful, it's not ugly, dirty in, in any way, form, or fashion. It's a beautiful gift given to a man and a woman in this covenantal bond. And what I want you to see and I want you to understand is that what God just said there in that passage, the, the Hebrew word for this marital connectedness, this marital sort of um, intimacy is the word dode. And literally what it means is two souls coming together. Two souls that are connected, that are intricately connected and bonded together. So what the text just said about sex biblically is that it is more than just a physical act that doesn't really mean anything. That's the message from our culture, but biblically, sex is bondedness. It is connectivity. It is two people becoming one. It is souls coming together. It is spiritual. It is emotional. And yes, it is also physical. But the problem is in our world, they try to make it not about the emotional and the spiritual and the connectivity, and they try to make it solely about the physical, and then it leads to a lot of unbelievable hurt and pain and heartache. The Bible says it's this wonderful, beautiful gift of God. The problem is what happens is in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the equation. 
Sin enters the equation and everything and all of creation, all of mankind, all of God's good and beautiful and perfect gifts are corrupted and perverted by sin. Sex is no different. A beautiful gift of God that is corrupted and perverted by sin. And again, you don't have to look very far in our world to see all of the different ways that sex has been corrupted and perverted by sinful hearts of man. One of the biggest ways, and what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this morning, you see it corrupted and and perverted in our culture is through pornography. Pornography is a rampant, rapidly growing industry. It is an industry that is built on violence and intimidation and assault. It is tied to the sex traffic um, and sex trade. It is a sin that destroys marriages and hurts people. It's it is a problem. When Austin and I were kind of unpacking, hey, what do we want to hit when it comes to this, this series on sexuality? There are some, some really important topics we need to discuss. And simply put, in a church like ours full of really young people, this is one of the biggest struggles, one of the biggest issues is pornography in our culture. It is very easily available, and we've got to talk about it. And so... What I want to say about, let me just give you a few statistics to kind of get started in this. First of all, uh, in our, in the world, uh, over $90 billion a year is spent on pornography worldwide. $90 billion. In our country alone, um, over $14 billion is spent on uh, pornography. And just to put that in some context for you, um, and these numbers are actually several years old. It's probably even more than that today. Um, in, our, in our country alone, over 14 billion, that is more than the revenue produced from the three major sports in America combined. More than football, basketball, and baseball. Pro football, pro, pro basketball, pro baseball combined. So I've heard people talk about sports and say how sports are, man, they're like a god in our culture. We almost worship sports and athletes. And you see these crazy lunatic fans that are just giving everything for their team. And I don't disagree with you. I'm a sports fan, and I can see that sometimes sports becomes a god. It's very easily, it very quickly and easily can do that. But here's what I would tell you. You know what's an even bigger god in our culture? Sex. Sex is an even bigger god in our culture. The amount of money that is spent on sex and pornography is staggering. Um, I'd also want to say as we start talking about this that this is not just a man's issue. Sometimes you start hearing about pornography and quickly it's like, this is for all the guys, right? And, but I would tell you the fastest growing consumers of pornography in our culture are women. Um, women are consuming more and more and more pornography. And I say that because it's really important. I talk about leaning in is that um, sometimes, again, we write this off as not, not your thing, but... Um, there have been, Austin and I have both had many conversations with couples where it's the wife that sometimes struggles. There's been a few uh, women that are bold enough to actually confess to, yeah, this is a struggle for me. And often they're reluctant to do so because there's the, the shame associated with it. Like, I'm not supposed to struggle with this. So I want to say that because if you're a woman in here that does struggle with that, I want you to know you're not alone in the struggle. There are, uh, there are women in our church that that is a struggle for them. And I don't want you to feel like you're like, on some island by yourself, that this is a, it's a real struggle for both men and for, and for women. And then the last thing I would tell you, it's actually a very, very sad statistic. And that is that almost 90% of children ages 8 to 16 years old have viewed internet pornography. 8 to 16. It is very, very pervasive and very easy to become addicted 
And so some of you, if you're here and you've got like a middle schooler around, you know, seventh or eighth grade, and you're like, when should I talk to them about sex? Two years ago, that's when you should talk to them about sex, right? Like, um, it's, it's, kids are seeing it earlier and earlier and earlier. I know for me as a dad, I have three boys. This is terrifying to me. It's just terrifying to me. Because I, I mean, listen, it is, it, it is a sin that so easily entangles, as Hebrews says. And so we've got to talk about it. Let me just mention a couple things in regards to why pornography is so damaging. Um, and, I, and some of you may be like, well, duh. But literally, there are a lot of people that don't understand, like, why is it such a big deal? I mean, I've literally had guys in my office go, I mean, it's, it's in the privacy of my home. I'm not really hurting anybody. Uh, what's the problem? Like, I don't see the problem with looking at a little porn every now and then. And so I want you to understand why it is so damaging. Um, first thing I would say about pornography is it does a lot of damage to other people. You may think that, no, it's not affecting anybody else. It's just me. Uh, but porn does a lot of damage to other people. Um, first of all, it is a, an industry that literally dehumanizes and objectifies people. That's what it does. When all you want from someone is physical and that's all you care about, you are dehumanizing and you are objectifying them. You no longer see them as people created in the image of God, sons and daughters of God. You begin to see them as objects and that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, in addition, I've already mentioned it is, a, it is a trade that is tied to the sex trafficking industry. It's an industry built on abuse, intimidation, violence, and assault. And some of you, I've even heard guys go, well, I don't pay for it. I don't pay for pornography. I'm not giving my money to those things. There's a lot of free stuff out there. I only click on the free stuff. And what I would say to you is you're still uh, complicit. You're still pay, paying them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, uh, when you click on those sites, what pays those sites are advertisers. When you click on the sites, advertisers see the clicks, they see the amount of traffic, and they are uh, paying those sites. A payment is made, and you may think, I'm not paying for it, but you are paying for it. And you are complicit in that industry if you're clicking on all those sites. You think it's not harming anyone, but it absolutely is harming a lot of people. It's harming a lot of people. It does unbelievable damage to marriages I'll talk about in just a moment. So again, there's no such thing as free porn. There are always victims. It's always hurting other people other than just you. The second thing I would say is that it does hurt you as an individual and as a person. Number one, it hurts your brain. Um, Dr. William Struthers is one of the leading biopsychologists in this field, and he did a lot of study uh, years back. Um, he's got a book called Wired for Intimacy. It's a great book uh, if you want to check out kind of the effects of pornography on the brain that were discovered. Um, and some of the stuff he found out is just, it's really staggering. Um, in fact, in a lot of ways, the idea of like pornography on the scale that we kind of understand it, it's relatively new phenomenon. And what I mean by that is, sure, there's always been sort of pictures and paintings and things like that. But with the advent of the video camera and then the internet, it has really just blown up and, and become a really, really huge industry. And so he's done a lot of study on what are the effects over time on the brain. And one thing he found out is that what happens in the brain as it continually looks at porn is there are new neural pathways that are created. And so when you uh, find your sexual fulfillment in images like pornography, pretty soon your brain learns that that is how you get that and you begin to only chase after the images rather than a person like your spouse. So literally God has, I want you to understand this, God in his goodness 
has given us a wonderful, beautiful gift. And the purpose and the point is in marriage, what happens is when you find fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure from something, he's wired our minds and brains to be bonded to and be connected to that thing even more. That is a wonderful thing in marriage, do you see? Because in marriage, when you can have sexual satisfaction and fulfillment, it literally bonds you to your spouse. It's wonderful. But when you begin to chase after pleasure through other things, it bonds you to other things. And it creates distance and separation in your marriage. See, pornography hurts marriages. It absolutely hurts marriages. And over time, they found that what happens is your brain would rather have the images for sexual fulfillment than it would even a person like your spouse. And so it can be unbelievably harmful and damaging to the brain. God created sex and intimacy and pleasure for the context of marriage, and he wired us in such a way that we are connected and more bonded when that is a part of our our lives and our marriage. But again, you can see where it's unbelievably harmful when it's taken outside of that context towards something else. It hurts our brains. The last thing I would say about it is that it really damages your heart. At the end of the deal, we uh, we talk about this all the time, God is after your heart, and it really becomes a heart issue. Um, the best way I could say it as you look in scripture is that, um, is that pornography is uh, idolatry. That's what it is. We can, we can minimize it or call it something else or whatever, but at the end of the day, it is idolatry. Look with me, if you would, quickly at Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, um, it's a rather uncomfortable text of scripture, but one that is just very needed. Um, I think we need to hear these words from the Apostle Paul. And basically, Romans 1, verse about 18 through the rest of the chapter, um, it talks about um, mankind practicing idolatry through sexual sin of different kinds. That's essentially what it says. And so I just want to read a couple verses from it. Uh, Verse 24, Paul tells them this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what happens is when we stop worshiping the creator and we begin to just worship his creation, that's called idolatry. When we begin to stop focusing on the creator and start focusing solely on and giving ourselves to just his creation, it's idolatry. We're worshiping something other than God. And so the way I said it in the first service is this, God is amazing. God is wonderful. God is great. God gives us this wonderful gift to be used in a certain context. And so um, when we're given this gift of pleasure, um, listen, the human body is amazing. Again, it's God's crown jewel of creation. And so what that should cause in us is for us to go, man, God, you're amazing and you're beautiful and you're wonderful. And I love you because you've given me an amazing gift. But when we turn our attention and our affection from God and start solely giving ourselves to or worshiping the creation, it leads to all kinds of sexual sin. And as long as our focus is on his creation rather than him, it's going to lead to pervasive sexual sin in our lives. It really is idolatry at the end of the day, and God takes it very seriously. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? One more passage to look at in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I know some of you are here today, and this is an absolute struggle for you. Um, I've talked to many of you that have shared this is an ongoing battle, an ongoing struggle, and we know that. And that's part of why we're doing the series. 
and we don't want to make light of it. Some of the other information that William Struthers came out with in his book is that uh, the addiction that is formed inside somebody that is addicted to pornography, it's the same part of the brain as if you were addicted to a drug like heroin or cocaine. It is that difficult of a, of a struggle. It is that difficult of an addiction. So I say that because some of you may have spouses or other people that, that have this struggle, and your tendency may be to be like, why are you struggling with this? Like, just, just don't. Just stop it. Just knock it off. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Um, and, and so uh, I want you to understand that it is a war. It is a fight. And it's not something to be, it's not a light switch. You just turn off all of a sudden and stop. Um, there's often a count, there's a lot, of, a lot of help that needs to go into this. And so what do we do about it? Here's what Paul says to the Galatians in uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Notice how many of these are tied to sexual sin. The works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies or wild parties, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things or those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Kind of a scary verse, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When it comes to attacking the problem, I think there's a lot of different things that need to happen. It's not a one solution. There's a lot of different things and a lot of different ways to attack the problem. And the first one, I would say, the Bible just told us we have to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. So how do we do that? To tackle the problem head on, um, your best, if you want to say the word weapon against that, is, is a growing relationship with Jesus. A growing relationship with Jesus where he becomes your, your pursuit. He becomes your satisfaction. He becomes your joy. A growing relationship with Christ. That is how you walk in step with the Spirit. How do I walk in step with the Spirit? I don't want this thing to own me anymore. Listen, it's not just a matter of quitting all the bad stuff. It's what are your new pursuits? We sometimes live like the goal of Christianity is to just avoid sin. And I've said it before, but the goal, the chief goal of Christianity is not just to avoid sin. It's to love Jesus and grow in your relationship with Jesus. That is your biggest weapon in the fight. It's loving Jesus. John Piper put it this way. John Piper said, the root power of sin is severed by the power of a superior pleasure. The bondage to sin is broken by a stronger attraction, a more compelling joy. Your greatest, man, the way to tackle this thing head on is to be serious about your love and your pursuit and your relationship with Christ. Because it's not enough just to quit all the bad habits. It's you've got to replace them with some things in your life. Different pursuits. Different pursuits, different pleasures, different joy. We've said this before. I know Austin's used it in a sermon. I've used it before. But your life is an environment that is perfectly designed to grow whatever it is you're currently growing. 
Your life is an environment that is perfectly designed to grow whatever it is you're currently growing. And so if you're someone that this is a real struggle, um, day in, day out, all the time, it keeps coming back around, it's a continual problem, which is a lot of us, right? I would just simply say the environment of your life is allowing this thing to continue to happen. And so some things have to change in that environment. You can't keep doing the same things you've been doing and thinking magically you're going to wake up one day and it's not going to be a problem anymore. So we got to change the environment. And again, the way to tackle it head on is a growing relationship with Jesus in pursuit of him. Then there's some things we need to do um, to, uh, I think, attack it from the sides. There's some things to put boundaries in place, um, really good practices that are just really practical things that I would say all Christians need. All Christians need this. The first one, we talk about it all the time, and that's community. Don't, don't fight alone. Don't fight the war alone. You need community with other people where confession and repentance are regular parts of your communal life. You need community with other people where confession and repentance are regular parts of your life. Along with that, I would say accountability comes into play. Usually, I would, here's what I would say, uh, men with men and women with women. Guys, you need to find some other men in your life, maybe another, another man or a group of men that can help hold you accountable, that you can be real and authentic with and honest with about the struggle, that are not going to judge you, but they're going to pray for you and encourage you in the struggle. You need that. Ladies, you need to find another woman or a small group of women who you can be honest with about the struggle, that are not going to judge you or criticize you or belittle you but they're going to pray for you and encourage you and support you. You can be accountable. Being accountable means you need to make sure those people are not just yes people in your life, people that think you're grand and swell and love everything about you, because they're gonna have a very hard time telling you no. You need people in your life that love you enough to tell you no, you're in danger here, knock it off, quit it. We need that, we need accountability, we need community. We're not meant to fight alone, and so that's one of the biggest things we talk about. Um, if you're looking for that or how do I find that or where do I go, I would say maybe a great first step might be uh, Regen. We have a ministry here called Regen. meets on Monday nights. It's up and running. It's going really, really uh, unbelievable. And, and, and I would encourage you, if this is a struggle for you, maybe you need to start showing up on Monday nights to Regen and, and, and just, just dive into that, man. Just dive in. It'll help you with community and accountability. Another thing I would say is just... Um, Again, we live in a world where you can click a button, sometimes by accident, and it opens up a whole lot of sin. <laughs> and so, um, because we live in that world, I think one of the resources that we need, in fact, I would say it's irresponsible not to have, is you ought to have some sort of blocks and software on your computer, on your devices. Um, that's going to help you with like impulses, temptation in the moment. Um, again, as, as, as a Christian, I would say, if you don't have that stuff, it's just irresponsible. You're just asking for some trouble, particularly if you have kids that might also get a hold of those devices. Again, as a dad of three boys, something I worry about all the time. I worry about it all the time. And I don't think I need to go to the text in the Gospels where Jesus had some really harsh things to say about those that mislead children, right? Right? You have a weighty responsibility, and if you don't have those kind of things on your devices, you're not only setting yourself up for failure, you could be hurting children, right? And so I'm just, again, as your pastor who wants the best and loves you guys, I would say those are just some easy steps that you can take, some easy steps. Your greatest weapon is a relationship with Jesus, but there's a lot of things, a lot of ways to, to have some boundaries and 
and to attack the problem and just be honest about it. Here's the thing. Sex really is a good and beautiful gift from God. It speaks to the, just the amazingness of our creator. And it ought to be a gift of, of, of joy and pleasure that causes us to be more grateful for God, to worship God in all of his fullness. But so often what happens is sin does what sin does and it corrupts and it perverts God's good and beautiful gifts. And then it becomes something that's unbelievable, heartbreaking, unbelievably difficult. God's given us a wonderful gift for the context of marriage. When we take it outside of that context, it brings a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. The good news is we have hope. The good news is Jesus died for your sin. You're not alone in the fight. As a church, we're here to help you. So what we wanna do is learn to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. Let's pray together this morning. God, we are grateful today for your good and beautiful gift. And God, I, um, I pray that you would just forgive us for the times we have taken your good and beautiful gift and we've made it, we've just perverted it, we've corrupted it because of the sin in our own hearts. And I think if truth be told, we're all probably guilty of that in one way or another. And so God, as a church, we just say we're sorry. We confess and we repent of the idolatry of sexual sin. God, today we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful that he went to a cross and he gave up his life on a cross for our sin. That he's already paid for our mistakes. We don't have to pay for them. And God, we're grateful today that in Christ, there is freedom from the bondage of sin. And I know there are some people in here right now that feel like this is just a sin that is going to own them for the rest of their lives and there's nothing they can do about it. But God, I pray today you would remind them that there is freedom available in Christ. That is why you went to a cross. That is why you died to bring freedom from the bondage. So I pray we could get real about the struggle. We could confess the struggle. We could drag it into the light and receive your grace today. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We want to give you a time to respond. Um, the band's going to lead us in a song real quick before we go. Um, maybe you need to spend some time where you are with the Lord and just confession, repentance. Maybe you want to take communion where you remember the body and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for you and be thankful for the price he paid at the cross for your sin. You're welcome to do that during the song. If you want to give an offering, you can do so on your way out in one of our giving boxes. Or maybe you need to talk and pray with someone this morning. We have some people back there by the sound booth, in front of the sound booth, they'd be happy to talk with you or pray with you about anything you would like. However you need to respond today, we just want to give you some time to do that. Thanks for being here.